0: Chapter fifteen of Hunters Out of Space This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Eliot Miller Hunters Out of Space by Joseph e Kellium. Chapter fifteen Val and his men had brought along enough of the umbrella shaped defenses to get them through the barrier. They held a short council of war. It was agreed that every able bodied man would go into the city. Nia and a few of the older men were detailed to stand by the nebula and take care of the women and children. Nia had screamed and protested against that. She had only agreed to stay upon one condition—that she be left one of the Umbrella Skeletons. The nights, Odin learned, were about sixteen hours long on this dying planet. It was toward midnight when they started out from the ship toward the Violet Dome the strange half-light still hovered over the ground. In the sky, splinters of mauve tore at curtains of purplish flame. Something like northern lights. They glinted and gleamed, wrestled and writhed. There was no peace up there in that abandoned sky, but there was enough of that unearthly light glimmering below for him to watch his footsteps. They had brought every kind of weapon they could lug with them atomic machine-guns, needle-nosed things that spat blobs of flame, anti-gravitational bombs, bombs that swirled slowly toward the enemy and cut him down with scythe-blades. Gunnar had laughed at that. Hang out your sordid knife, Norse King. We will need them yet. With the umbrella frames held over them, as though protecting them from a flood, they went through the barrier. Beyond it, Thousands of men rose up from the scarred plain to join them. Val had a much larger following than Odin had ever guessed. These men were swathed in long coats and capes. Similar items of apparel were hastily furnished to the crew of the nebula, for when they were through the barrier the temperature dropped to about thirty. Once they passed through a thin swirl of snow, then something screamed at them out there in the night and came at them like a juggernaut. It must have stood nearly fifty feet high, and came rushing at them on a score of legs, with dozens of eyes flashing green as it hurtled forward. The men of Blorin were not greatly worried. They began to fire at it with the pistol-shaped weapons. There was only a popping noise, but Odin could hear the bullets smashing into the onrushing thing. Others used tulip-flared guns, which made no noise at all, but bolts of lightning sank into the sides of the behemoth. After it was dead, its furious drive sent it nearly a score of yards forward. It slid into a clump of twisted trees and tore them to splinters before it stopped quivering. Finally the way was clear. They waited there for a time to see if they had attracted any attention from the city of the violet dome. Nothing happened, so they advanced again. At least five thousand men now made up this little army. Val guessed that there were a hundred thousand fighters left in the city, not counting the experienced ruffians that Grim Hagen had brought with him. They had advanced not over half a mile before the pale glow of the night turned to utter darkness. Something that looked like a vast sea-nettle was slowly sinking down toward them from the sky. Its tentacles glowed faintly as it fell, and it must have been a hundred yards across at the top. Once more bullets, lightning bolts, and sheets of flame were hurled at the descending thing. It fell apart and came writhing down. Men rushed to get away from the reach of those flailing arms. They laid low and watched while the thing died. Listen, Gunnar warned. From the far away came the sound of shots and an eerie whine that seemed faintly familiar. The shots died down. The whine continued louder and louder, almost to the top peak of sound, as though a tiger was growling to itself as it feasted. Then all was still. "'It was from the old ship,' Gunnar said. "'I wonder—' But there was no time left to wonder. As the thing died, the phosphor glow faded from its lashing tentacles. Finally it was still—' They picked themselves up and went on toward the dome. The dome was propped upon miles of forty-foot columns, all carved and decorated like those from the Hall of Kings. Below the dome the same barrier came pouring down like an unseen waterfall. Again they used their protective umbrella frames. Then, sweating and cursing and grunting, they hauled their weapons of war into the city. Val the Loren had explained that the city was not a city as Ato and Odin understood the words. Being domed, there was no use for rooms of any kind. The temperature stayed constant. There were wide streets paved with blocks of pink and black marble. These streets were flanked by sidewalks and walls. At intervals of a hundred feet the huge columns were placed. They were minutely decorated and carved. These supported a silver and clear plastic framework that held up the violet dome. Looking upward, Odin had the impression that he was standing beneath a vast spider-web. There were many hedges, all neatly trimmed. Some resembled privet, but most of them were like pomegranate with larger reddish blossoms that seemed to drip blood. Here and there were railings with steps going down. Like subway entrances, Odin thought except they were more elaborately carved. These steps went down to tier after tier of labyrinths. It was a skyscraper city turned upside down, Odin gathered from Val's explanations. The first level below the city was made up of factories and machine-shops. The next was where plants, flowers, and trees were forced, producing the city's food. Below that, for nearly a thousand feet, were the living quarters of the people. The ground level of the city was in reality a beautiful park. During the day, Val explained, it was busy with street vendors, open-air schools, theaters, and thousands who came up from underground to drink in the air and the sun. Now it was nearly empty. The columns were evenly spaced, and at a spot exactly between each two columns was a great crescent of stone. At the top of each crescent were flickering flames that burned without leaving any smoke. "'Like stone tulips with petals of flame,' Gunnar said as he looked at them. They stood nearly twelve feet high. Their pedestals were broad, their stems were nearly a foot thick, nearly a yard across. Their flames were violet, tipped with blue. They made a beautiful sight, but it did not matter, for within less than an hour this lovely park with its carved columns and tulip-shaped cressets of fire was turned into a shambles. They had not gone a quarter of a mile before a guard hailed them. A score of guns popped like open bottles and the guard died before the echo of his voice was gone. But his cry was taken up by others, and now Odin saw that there in the spiderweb framework that held the dome were hundreds of little cubicles, all manned. Shafts of flame darted through the dimlit area. Bullets whizzed. Ato's needle-nosed machines began to whine and the metal in the guard's cubicles grew red-hot and melted. Charred bodies came tumbling down men came pouring out of the subway entrances. There was a crashing and grinding as hidden elevators brought weapons of death to the surface. The fires in the cressets danced higher. They fought now in midday light. There was a blast nearby that nearly burst Odin's eardrums—a crash of flame that half-blinded him. A gun-crew screamed and died as one of the needle-nosed machines melted into puddles of steel. One by one these guns exploded taking their crews with them. But even as they died they littered the streets with the bodies of those who were pouring up from the depths of the city. Even as one melted, its needle nose swung upward and its beam cut through girders as though they were soft cheese. There was an awful grating sound as the heavy dome sagged a few inches. Splinters of glass and plastic rained down upon invader and defender alike. Guns burst in men's hands or turned to soft wax. The machine-guns grew red-hot and melted. Ato sent his swirling bombs toward the enemy. The scythe-blades dripped as they cut swathes through massive rows of human flesh. But from far down the street a swarm of red sparks came rushing at the bombs like hornets. They swirled about them, humming angrily. And then the bombs and the hornet sparks were gone. Odin learned that the toadstool-shaped weapon which Val's men carried was a defense against the lancing beams from the glassy tubes. So one by one the weapons of offense and the weapons of defense fell apart. Sirens were screaming within the city. Hordes were still arriving from the depths below. Ato had set up a huge, slowly whirling globe that was studded with spines. As it turned upon its axis it emitted a strange, pulsing light. As the defenders came rushing up the stairways to the upper world, the guns at their belts exploded in furious heat. They died by the hundreds of those entrances. They filled the stairways in the halls below. Screams from seared throats drowned out the noise of battle. The stench of burned flesh and blood was now so heavy that it was hard to breathe. Another wild shell crashed into the spiderweb framework of the dome. It sagged again with a shriek and a groan of protest, and once more a rain of glass showered down upon them. The defenders cleared the choked stairways and came on, dying at the entrances and falling back and blocking the stairs again. At the last they unbuckled their belts and their weapons and threw them aside. Then they plunged through the entrances in a flood, armed with only knives and clubs. Meanwhile Ato's guns were going out. The last became a white torch when a magnesium blob struck it. The sidearms were all gone. They fought now, with sword and knife. Jack Odin felt a heavy hand upon his arm. Gunnar was at his side. It is even as I foretold you, Norse King. The weapons are all gone. Stay close by Gunnar's side now. We will fight together as we fought before. Eh? They are coming up from underground like ants. I think we have lost the advantage. Hagen's dead lie thick, though. And now it's our turn. The old sword's and the swinging chant. Ah! Old blood-drinker will not be thirsty to-night. Brace yourself. Here comes the first assault." And with his huge short legs spread wide apart, Gunnar swung his broadsword. The first wave of attackers went down like a ripe wheat. Gunnar and Odin cut their way through them and came out against the smoking hedge. Behind them Ato and his Lorenz strewed the streets with dead. Gunnar and Odin went through a hole in the hedge. A defender was making for it from the other side, and Gunnar broke the man's neck. Clinging to the thin shadow of the hedge, they moved forward, killing as they went. End of chapter 15